Praise you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we ask that you would um, teach us your ways, help us to know and to experience and share more of your love in the world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I imagine as we gather on this day, that's the 21st anniversary of 9-11, that those of you who are old enough and cognizant remember exactly where you were on that day and how those events unfolded. And there's, everybody's got a story. I was in my first semester of seminary that day, and I was in an 8 o'clock introduction to theology class. And the professor, whose name I will intentionally omit, had just done a 10-minute lecture on why he thought it was inappropriate to pray in that class because we were starting a segment on the philosophy of religion and it would bias us if we prayed before that. And right then this woman busts into the back of the class and she says, Professor, I'm sorry I'm late, but I really feel like I gotta tell you what's going on so we can pray. <laughs> and in really solid form he says, uh, let us pray, Lord have mercy, amen and went on with his lecture. Happily, the rest of the day, people were more sympathetic and, and, and empathic about what was going on that day. But that's how the morning started for me. And um, we all have a story about that. And as we gather on this day, it, to me, it brings up and makes us think about the tragedies that go on in life, the pain and suffering that exists. You know, we think about that day, 3,000 people, nearly 3,000 people dying all in one day in such a concentrated place. And it makes sense to me for us to pause to not only remember that, but to think about the place of hope as we deal with um, the pain and suffering and tragedy that, that goes on in life in all kinds of different ways. And the reality of it is um, we all experience pain and suffering in life. There is no getting around that. St. Paul talks about in Romans how all of creation is groaning for redemption as a reminder that the whole world... <laughs> in one way or the other, has brokenness. You will not live, you cannot live this life in this place without experiencing pain and suffering and tragedy. That is a fact, that's gonna happen. And I'm aware, I, I recently was talking to a, a friend at a church who was telling me about his, the senior rec, the rector there had this uh, moment where he was at the pulpit. I'm curious to go talk to the guy about it because I haven't had the chance yet. But he said he had this moment in the middle of a sermon when he looked up and he got to see something of the pain of everybody in the room, he had this spiritual moment where God let him see something of the pain that everybody in the room had. And he said it forever changed how he, how he preaches. And I'm aware that as we gather on this day, there is lots of pain in this room, either current or what people have been through and they still think about people who've lost children, people who've been through unwanted divorces, people who've lost jobs and are searching, people who've been pushed out um, by family members and betrayed by friends and people that have chronic health issues going on or all these different kinds of things, people with profound loneliness, all these things and many, many more. Everybody engages and has some version of pain and suffering that goes on and that's where we live and we're worse if we don't acknowledge it. And, you know, part of the, the journey that we're all on is to figure out what to do with that. Every religion in the world ultimately has to answer to pain and suffering and what we do with it, how we handle that. And to me, one of the things I'm such a big uh, proponent of is that we should, like, 
the military and, and all these different places will train people to handle emergencies because when you get into an emergency, you're going to fall back to your training. And I wonder again and again why we don't spend more time as Christians thinking about when we have tragedy pop us in the face, we, are, we already kind of know some things to fall back on. And we do, but I want to go further into that. Like, why don't we think a little bit now, while maybe things are more sane, about how we do a theology of suffering and maybe what I want to focus on more today is a theology of hope. And I feel like I got to at least put a placeholder out there for a theology of suffering because, as I said, every religion has to answer to it. And there are lots of ways. There is no defined answer to this for Christianity. Like Christianity doesn't say turn to this place in our catechism and we're going to give you this, the answer that is the definitive thing about what we do with this. So all I can do is, I'm gonna, as a placeholder, I'll give you my quick answer of the things you would meditate on as you deal with pain and suffering in the world for the question of why. But I really want to focus on the other question of hope. Well, the why question, my answer to that, in short, is to acknowledge up front that it's profoundly loaded with mystery. Christians can speak into that. We have things we can say. We have things we know. But we would be fools if we said we know it all and that there's not a profound mystery around why things happen the way they happen and what goes on with it all. So the first thing, that's the first thing I want to say is it's profoundly wrapped in mystery. But Christians would go immediately from there to say that we have a God that's not far off from our suffering, but who's entered into it. As some talk about, we have the crucified God. We have the God that's come not only taken on flesh, but has entered into our pain. Who's been betrayed, who's been you know, flogged, beat, whipped, all these different things, spat upon, crucified, like everything you can think of, he's had. And as I've said before, like Good Friday, when we come back and really hold that image, that's sort of the feast day of people in suffering is to think about Jesus on the cross and what he did and with the love that's behind that. That's the first thing that I think that we would hold up to. And then part of the answer too is again and again how God is in the midst of our pain. If we'll only look. If you get to that place and you're willing to open your eyes to see, God is, will be in that pain comforting you and he's there. And again, as we keep rolling out what we think about suffering, if we surrender it to God, he will use it for his glory. Whatever the worst thing is that happens, he will use it for his glory. And maybe the final thing that will transition to what I really want to talk about today, the final thing I would always mention about suffering is it's never the last word. The Christian version of this is whatever your worst day of your life is, is never the last word. That we have an image of a new heaven, a new earth, a day when there'll be no tears all the tears will be wiped from your eyes. That's part of the image that we hold. All of these things are, are come together as the things that we hold onto, or at least I do, as a Christian answering the question of why and the deep pains that go around suffering. Something that once upon a time in my life really derailed my faith. But I want to go from there, which naturally lends itself where I left off, to talk about hope and a theology of hope. And I don't want to get um, in front of myself too much for that first, because what I really like to begin with before we go there is to pause for a minute and to think about how badly we need hope. It's uh, maybe a little bit trite. I think many people have heard this saying, but there's a saying that gets repeated often that humans can live 40 days without food, four days without water, 
four minutes without air, but cannot live four seconds without hope. It's part of what we need. And they've done all this, the psychologists and different people have done all kinds of research around the impact of hope in people's lives. They've done studies of things like college students who have hope do better. Athletes that, have, that are hopeful do perform better and recover better from injuries. They've done stu- the studies that are more negative of saying elderly people who don't have hope die much faster than their colleagues who have hope. Like hope is hugely important in how we live out our lives. And there are people that study it that will say just how significant it is to us. One of these researchers is a guy named Dr. Shane Lopez, a psychologist who researches um, all this on hope. He says that it's not, hope is not just an emotion, but it's a vital tool in how we live life. And there are others that would say it's also hardwired into us as part of what we do, that there's this need for hope. We need it. Many years ago, I was impacted by listening to a, a Vietnam vet that was in a POW camp for six years, and he was the high, highest ranking officer there. And I won't go into the details of what all he said, but the sig- most significant thing he said was the difference, the biggest difference of who was going to live and die in that concentration camp was who had hope. Not optimism, hope. And he would go from there. We need hope. And so as we approach this topic today, I'm saying all this because I want us to approach it with an attitude of, yeah, okay, give me more of that. I want more hope. I want to, I want to have more hope in my life. Where do we get that hope? There are lots of places I think we get hope, if we're honest. Like, I don't want to say Christians have got exclusivity on this. I'm going to say more because I think it's deeper. But we get it in lots of places. I know one of the darkest chapters of my life was a place where I was pushing God away. I found hope from friends and family. I found hope from the people most tangible around me who were letting me know I was loved and that there were better days ahead. And I think about those kinds of things. You know, I, I've, I've re- mentioned recently in a couple of sermons that I've really gotten into TED Talks lately. And so if I have a few minutes or if I'm out running or something, I'll listen to some TED Talks. There's one that I came across um, recently that was uh, a TED Talk that is by, I think, the, one of the oldest Holocaust survivors who was still alive at the, at the time of this talk. He was a, gu- a guy named Eddie Jaku. He was over 100 years old given this talk, but he, he talks about how, what he went through with the Holocaust. Cause in 1938, he returns from boarding camp to his Jewish family in Germany. And almost as soon as he arrives, they all, he gets arrested. And then he eventually is able to escape, reunites with his family. And then in 1943, they all get arrested and they go to Auschwitz, which he describes as hell on earth. Last day he saw his parents coming into it. And then he ultimately is one of the people that makes it to the end and gets liberated. And he said he was in misery with what he'd been through. But then he met his wife and he has kids and then grandkids and he goes on from there. And today he actually describes himself as the happiest man in the world. And he talks about how part of that journey was letting go of hatred, that he doesn't hate anybody. But he also talks in it about the incredible place of hope. Some of the things he says in that talk is he says, where there's life, there's hope. If there is no hope, you're finished. He adds family and friends are key to that hope. Friendship is priceless. Shared sorrows, shared sorrow is half the sorrow, but shared pleasure is double. 
And I agree with that aspect that we are part of what we do as gathering as a church is to have family, to have friends, to have people that walk through us through all the chapters of life, good and bad, and whatever else we do, to learn a sense that we're all God's children and we should live as family dealing with the pains and the ups and downs of life that we go through. But I want to suggest that Christian hope takes us further and deeper in to a much deeper place. We think about how significant Christian hope is. It's a thing, right? Peter talks about how all of us should be ready to give an account for the hope that's within us. That's a thing, the hope that's within us. Or to go back to the passage we all know because it gets read at a lot of weddings from 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul ends that passage saying, faith, hope, and love, these three things. I mean, so he's putting this as, I think he's holding these up as the three greatest things, faith, hope, and love. And this thing about hope, we're meant to be a people of hope and to live in hope. And when I want to start trying to describe Christian hope, there are probably lots of ways we could do it. I think an easy way to think about Christian hope is to think about it in terms of past, present, and future. And we think about the past, we begin to think about what God has already done for us. We think about all the pages of scripture that we read in learning about what God has done for us. And we, part of what we do every Sunday as we gather is remember that. In a few minutes when Nate comes to the altar and does the prayers, every time we do that, we come to the altar, we're recounting the history of salvation. We're recounting how God made you out of love and how, what the great links he went to to come and reach out to us in our brokenness and bring us to himself. We're reminded of all these different ways that God's whole past is about loving us, calling us, redeeming us, reaching out to us, not giving up on us. All these different kinds of things of the past, calling us to be his children, all of this that goes on and on, that it impacts us today. We encounter God and we encounter hope that way. We also encounter God today in the present. All of us who've experienced something of the Holy Spirit, wherever we live, how we are, if we're just mildly open to experiencing God in the moment, to experiencing the Holy Spirit calling us, loving us, to the, all those various places where we encounter God in these, in these God moments, the day when you're miserably sad over something and the str- your friend from college calls you up and says, hey, you were on my mind today. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm really, life is bad right now. All these different ways that I, th- I think God's spirit, if we let him, will help us receive, but will also call us into ministry. All of that in the active sense that is God in the present that empowers us. The way that God calls us to know that we're loved, that we're his children, to experience his love today in all kinds of way through, through community. I think about it with the gospel lesson that we read a few minutes ago, how God is telling us if the 99 are here and you've gone off, I'm coming for you because I love you. And I'm gonna go search for you, the one that's missing because I love you. And God pursues us that way. We can encounter that love in the present. That encounter of that love in those moments, as much as we receive them, will remind us that we have hope because we have a hope from a God who loves us that way. And this final sense of the hope in the future, 
I think a lot of people would say is in some ways the most powerful. Certainly if you go look at Christians who've been persecuted through the ages, one way or the other, they will oftentimes dwell here, that there is a new heaven and a new earth that's coming. There is a time coming when there'll be no tears. When people are intensely persecuted, they'll come up with songs like I'll Fly Away or whatever it is that's taking us to a vision of what God has in this new earth, this new heaven, this new vision. And it calls us to that place, not in some kind of trajectory of trying to figure out where we are today and where it's going to go, but something that has us breathe and taste the future and bring it back into where we are and live with hope here. I want to give you a couple different um, thoughts about that. And I'm going to, I'll thank Steve in the room for sending this this to me today because it fit right in. How in mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis in the latter part of the book goes into Christian virtues. One of those virtues he does a whole chapter on is hope. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says, the great scholar from Oxford and um, Christian writer. He says, hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people might think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we're to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. Christian hope out there encouraging us and drawing us into the brokenness of our own world. Or I'll give one more example. Um, It's a little bit longer, but I think it's worth it. I got the privilege a number of years ago of meeting um, the time the guy was a a theologian at Oxford, Jeremy Bigme. He's now on faculty, I think, at Duke. Um, But he was talking about when he was traveling in Africa and he was invited to he was going to preach, but before he preached that morning, they told him all the things that, were going, that had happened in the church in that township the week before he was there. And then he talks about how the worship started at that service. I'm going to read it. He says, I was told immediately before the service that a house around the corner had just been burned to the ground because a man who lived there was a suspected thief. A week before that, a tornado had cut through the township ripping apart 50 homes. Five people had been killed. And then I was told that the very night before, a gang hounded down a 14-year-old, a member of the church's Sunday school, and had stabbed him to death. The pastor began his opening prayer. Lord, you're the creator and the sovereign, but why did the wind come like a snake and tear our roofs off? Why did a mob cut short the life of one of our own children? when he had everything to live for. Over and over again, Lord, we are in the midst of death. As he spoke, the congregation responded with dreadful sighing and groaning. And then once he finished his prayer, very slowly, the whole congregation began to sing. At first, very quietly, and then louder. They sang, and they sang, they sang song after song of praise. Praise to a God when Jesus had plunged into the very worst to give us a promise of an ending beyond all imagining. The singing gave the congregation a foretaste of the end. Christian hope isn't about looking around at the state of things now and trying to imagine where it's all going. It's not about trying to calculate the future from the present. It's about breathing now the fresh air of the ending. 
tasting the spices and sipping the wine of the feast that's to come. Christian hope is built on what God has done. It's built on how God interacts with us today. And it's built on this image and this call into the hope of the future that he has for us. And the passages of scripture, like the one we read right before the gospel, are there are many of these passages that will call us again and again to that hope. Let me read just a couple of these. Psalm 42, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation. Psalm 39, and now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Psalm 71, for you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust. Psalm 131, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth forevermore. There, our call is to be a people of hope, faith, love, and hope. We do this as a community. That's one of the reasons why we gather each week to, be, to remind each other of this hope and to live it together in community. We are called to be a people that are reminded of this in worship, as I've said. We'll recall all that through our liturgy and through our readings about God's hope. And we're called to be a people that share this hope in the world, that let it out there and put it in that place. I want to um, also suggest that as we go deeper into hope, I think it brings us to a place of deeper gratitude in the world. It brings us to be able to see that on the, that two things, one, on the worst day of your life, whatever it is, that will never be the last word. And on the worst day of your life, there's always something good happening. I'm always mindful on this day. Today's my niece's birthday. She was born at the time between the towers. And it has always been a permanent reminder to me that good things were happening on 9-11 back on that day. There's always something good on that day. And as I gave you a little teaser last week during the announcements, um, I want to say a word about the offertory today, the offertory song. Um, I'm very delighted that Justin and the band are going to do a song by you too. Um, Beautiful Day is going to be our offertory song today, which is a song that is... Um, Bono says in talking about this song that it's about a guy who's lost everything but realizes he still has um, beauty to celebrate. That's what the song is ultimately about. It's a song of hope. And it's the reason why in the first Super Bowl after 9-11, it's the very opening song that they had that day. And it was also the first song they did when they finally, they were on tour when this happened. It was their, whenever they started back on tour after, nine, after the 9-11 and flights started happening again and all this, it was how they opened the concert. It's a message of hope, um, that hope springs up this way. So I, pr my prayer for all of us is that um, we'll be a people of hope, that we'll think about what God's done, what he's doing, and what he's gonna do in the future. And I, I usually do a prayer at this point, but today I'm gonna read a prayer. This is a prayer from the year 2015. I don't know if you remember this back in South Carolina where, um, this villain filled with racial hatred went into a church and he killed nine people in a Bible study. I don't know if you ever, ever thought about what would, the, what would the preacher say that first Sunday back four days later when he comes into the pulpit. I'm going to end our sermon today with the prayer he started his sermon with. Um, this is a prayer by the Reverend Norval Goff, who was a pastor at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina. Let's pray. We ask questions, Lord. We ask why. We cannot help it. 
It's our human nature. But through it all, those of us who know Jesus, as we find ourselves engulfed in sadness and darkness, as we find ourselves walking through the shadow of the valley of death, for those of us who know Jesus, we can look through the windows of our faith and we see hope and we see light and we hear your voice saying, I'm with you. Amen.